Hey, this is Reza. This is Sandy. Welcome to the Stone Cold Sober Podcast. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome, everyone, to the 362nd episode of the Stone Cold Sober Podcast. Reza, I hear you have some exciting updates for us with regards to your house. What? Uh, yes. Uh, what, what is it? We are finally getting our kitchen installed. So it's been, this has been a long process, right? Like the, uh, you know, I, I'm sure the listeners won't know the, won't, won't, not, won't know, won't recall, but the, the, uh, the issues with our kitchen started two months ago. We, we lost the, we lost our like, you know, proper working kitchen two whole months ago and that's kind of mind-blowing to me because of how long we've basically been juggling and and working or not and not working at times um with you know this temporary solution we've had which was just to use like instant slash crock pots oven and toaster oven griddle and then the utility sink and the laundry room for dishes so um yeah we we are now getting our um the, so we had we we found a uh, a new contractor hired him and his crew started working on I believe it was Thursday this past Thursday so they did some demo work in the kitchen which is really just getting rid of the old backsplash that we're replacing they got rid of the remaining wood floor that we weren't going to be keeping and mm-hmm. they uh they taped up the they they reinstalled or put in new drywall to the um the section behind the backsplash and that that all got ruined when they removed the uh the old backsplash i'm trying to think if there was anything else that they did but i think that was the bulk of the work i mean i think i think like removing wood floors especially as a one-man job which it was i think was just one person working is uh super time consuming so like making sure all the nails and staples and such are removed oh yeah even after surf pro left there were still like staple or nails that that lane and i were finding every occasionally when we were just like walking on that on that sub floor so um yeah we so the uh the new solution now the the new floor we're putting down some uh tile floor in the kitchen um it's like a kind of a white, it's like a white base with a little bit of like brown and uh, gray kind of uh, sprinkled in. The tiles are probably like how big, how long are they? They're probably like a, f- I want to say like maybe two by one, something like that. Two feet by one feet. Okay. Uh, yep. in, in each each tile. Uh, I might be completely off on that, but <laughs> just to give you a rough idea of, of uh, how, how big they are. Um, and so that process of installing the tiles is going to start tomorrow on Monday. So it's a, uh, I guess, a pretty laborious process. It's like the the material isn't really that expensive. Like for I don't know how many how many hundred square feet uh, it was. I can't even recall. Uh, like I think two or three hundred square feet for the kitchen. Um, the material was like five hundred dollars, but the installation is like several thousand. I mean, I I guess I can't really put it on just the installation because there's you know the um, the cabinet stuff and uh the um the removal of you know the last two days of work but still like it's still a very expensive process to get this um to get the tile installed because they basically lay 
a layer of like I don't I don't actually know what it is. There's like a layer of some some type of like baseboard that goes above the uh, the wooden particle board between the basement and the um, and the kitchen, and then they're gonna put a layer of concrete. I think I don't even know if it's concrete or if it's like what what it ex exactly what it is, but some type of like mason masonry material that's going to go down above that, and then they're gonna start laying the tile, I believe, on top of that, which then they will seal together with uh, like mortar and grout. So it's a pretty time consuming and, and long process. I'll be home, I think working from home just on Tuesday. And then the rest of the time I'll just be in the office. So Lynn will be here kind of overseeing the uh, the installation process. But once that's done, we'll be able to get the cabinets, um, the, the, the cabinets back in. So that'll be great. We'll finally have storage in our, in our kitchen. We'll be able to reclaim our dining room once again, because, um, that was like the staging ground for our, for our move. So that's where most of the boxes went for that. And it took up until about like Thanksgiving to really clear out the dining room of all the excess boxes and stuff that didn't really belong mm -hmm. there. And then, sure. uh, so we had it for Thanksgiving and we had it for Christmas. So we had it for about one month before that space got reclaimed again by a bunch of boxes, which are now, um, which are literally just kitchen stuff, right? Yeah. Appliances, cookware, whatever else. Um, so yeah, once the counters go back in, we're getting new counters. So the counter, because when they were uh, removing the counters, I know I've talked about this before, but, but a section of it broke. And so I still need to contact them about that because ServPro never really acknowledged the fact that they broke it. And therefore, we never received any compensation for it. So we're getting um, new white-ish um, counter, counter uh, quartz counters put in, which will be nice mm -hmm. because the the granite that was there before was kind of like this. Uh, uh, I guess it was kind of more of like a beigey brown color, and it has okay. like a lot of like black and other multicolored spots in it. It makes it really difficult to identify, um, like stuff on the counter you know messy yeah, stains like whatever spills. right and like i think that's the point of it it's like okay you you can never tell that it's dirty but at the same time it's like well yeah i want to clean it though right so so you know when i when i'm like cleaning up wrapping up for the night and i'm like right wiping down the counters and everything i head upstairs and then lena comes back down in the morning and she has a, a much keener eye for this type of stuff than i she'll like spot like dust and other things on there that are that were that i just couldn't see um, and maybe it's just like when she's working on it and she like puts something down, you can like feel it or, you know, you're just, I don't know, whatever. So, uh, this will be much easier to, uh, identify, uh, messes and, and spills and other things. So yeah, um, I'm excited to get that done. Now, I don't really know exactly how long the whole process is going to be like, especially for the counter installation at that point, you know, then we're back, uh, to normal, you know, we'll get the, the, um, the stove put back in as well as the sink and it will be finished. But Man, it's been a long process. I, I am very excited to get this back. It's it oh, yeah. sucks. It sucks doing laundry uh, dishes. <laughs> it sucks doing dishes in that in that uh, that utility sink. Um, oh my gosh! Like I'm literally I'm using the top of the washer as the uh, it, it's where we place the drying rack, and so it's not a lot of space. Like norm, you know, it was you know you got like big pots and pans or whatever, and you know we don't have a dishwasher. That's the other thing too. So it's it's every every dish is getting cleaned in that sink. So, um, you know you have like a big like uh, the instant pot, like the 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 pot for the instant pot. Like that really can't stay in the drying rack. The drying rack is not that big. So now, and, and if it's like a, if it was a, a busy day in the house with like lots of dishes and stuff, 
you kind of got to like dry as you wash because you just don't have the space in that drying rack. So I know I'm complaining about like these super mundane or silly things, but when you're doing it for like two months, it gets, it's been, it's been, it's been annoying. Oh yeah. So it also is like a key, like cornerstone of the home and for it to not be like up and running has got to be just like death by a thousand cuts. Like, yeah. you know, you got to move the dishes to the utility sink. You got to yeah. balance the dishes in a place not designed to clean dishes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff. Absolutely. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be great when it's back, um, when it's up and running. Um, obviously, we're still still a little bit away from it, but we are close. Um, I, I can I can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know, like you know, especially for Lena, she's kind of been the one spearheading ever since we kind of um, we had to find a secondary contractor. She's been the one who's doing been doing all this legwork. So I know that she feels um, like finally, especially since she's done. You know, she's the kitchen is like her spot. That's where she you know she does most of the cooking. Um, so I think <laughs> it'll be she'll be very happy to to get this back. Um, there are a few things that we're not getting. Like there's, um, I don't actually, know, I don't actually know if there's like a specific name for it, but there's a, um, like a, a, a specific, it's like a, um, a, a pot faucet. It's like, it's a faucet that kind of rests above the stove that you can, uh, that that's connected directly to the water line that you could turn it on. So that way you, if you have like a huge pot, you don't have to like carry it over to the sink and carry it back. Um, do you, do you know, is there, is there a name for that? Um, I think it's just a, uh, oh, yes, there is, is just, a name It's for just it. a pot filler? Like, I see it at home. It's, I think, it, yep. Okay. It's just a pot filler. Okay. It's, it's a really nice quality of life thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, so she wanted to get that. We're, we're not doing that, just the cost and the plumbing and whatever else. But it technically would have been, like, the best time to do it. Just the backsplash was gone. We had access to the water line behind it. That's, uh, behind the, the, um, the stove but we just opted to not do it so yeah oh and it was also just like the location of the microwave the microwave is right above there and we didn't want to have i I can't remember what the reasoning was what the logic was but there was some logic for not wanting the microwave to be above it i think it was just it needed to be higher and um the the pot filler itself needed to be higher and therefore it would have been like okay do we remove the microwave where do you put the microwave now so that that was kind of what it was so anywho um yeah that's uh that's my big update nice well that's really exciting yeah yeah very, it is. very exciting yeah so um what can i share well the uh the wedding planning is going quite well we are almost 10 months to the day uh of of our wedding wow um, wow i know Man, it's, it's getting, we're getting, it we're felt getting like it now. was so long ago. Like, so when when did you when did you originally find your date? How long before the wedding? Or sorry, uh, so, a year plus. Okay, it was, a year right. plus. it was over a year. Yeah, I just didn't remember because I I proposed uh, in March uh, on March seventeenth uh, of twenty twenty one. And then we found the venue uh, sometime in the summer of last year, I'll say. Okay. Yeah. And so we are, I mean, we're recording this on March 13th. Um, 
and we're getting married on January 14th. And so, you know, 10 months. Yeah. Um, so what did we have already going into like, I'll say last weekend, um, we had obviously our venue, we had an officiant, uh, we, um, we had a DJ and photographer. So like, you know, so, so the, the important ones, right? Right. Um, and then what we ended up doing most recently, uh, specifically, you know, my time in between roles was we locked down a hotel. So we have a hotel. Um, we have an intro wedding sort of room block. Uh, sort of contracted to us now no rooms are available yet um, and so uh, I'm, I'm going to be reaching out to them soon to be like hey I want the link so that we can start to sh- like low-key maybe share this out with some people if we decide to do that yeah uh, we can always fill up more we, we, we found a rather large hotel now the other thing it was really hard to find a hotel uh, in the area I had probably reached out to about a dozen hotels wow um yeah, just, you know, creating a lot of RFPs, trying to figure out where we can reach out to, so on and so forth. Um, some hotels in the area were already booked for conferences or other events, considering it's a holiday, long weekend, Martin Luther King weekend. Um, and so I think my quote-unquote first choice was already booked up. So like, sorry, the rooms, uh, the room block is unavailable. And the... Uh, venue spaces on site are unavailable i'm thinking somebody has a wedding that weekend yeah uh, if i'm being like honest with you right because uh, it was it was a hotel where you could have a wedding at the hotel and obviously we've been to those where it's super nice to just you know check in upstairs walk down to like one of the ballrooms and then just go right back upstairs um uh and then uh reach out to a couple of others who are doing a lot of uh renovations and so they're like, we're actually going to be closing a lot of the rooms while we do massive renovations. It's like, all right, whatever. Uh, and other apart, uh, not apartments, other uh, hotels just couldn't support the potential number of room blocks that we needed. Um, and so found one that not only had the space to support our room blocks, so the hotel rooms specifically, but also had venue space on site. Because what we are looking to do uh, is plan a wedding brunch, uh, the next day brunch, and also doing like an after party after like we all get, uh, we all return from the venue. Because nobody just wants to like go home and just call it a night. People want to like have a place to relax, maybe grab grab a drink or grab some snacks and like hot food, you know, just to like chill out and... And what have you. And so for sure, uh, we wanted a place that gave us the opportunity to do that uh, and not have like a, hey, everyone, we're going to move from the venue to a secondary location and then have to like essentially pay for even more transportation to get people back, you know, because we're going to be having an open bar at our wedding. And so it'd be nice to just ferry people from like one location to another. Yeah. Um, so we found the spot, uh, did a lot of back and forth with them, but they were able to address all of our needs. And so we have a signed contract with them. Um, we also got the transportation uh, pretty much secured. So, you know, learning about what it costs to either rent a 55 passenger coach bus 
versus uh, like 30 passenger shuttle vans to 19 passenger shuttle vans to like all that stuff was was very interesting to learn like the uh, the sub industry of that with it turns out with 55 person coach buses yes you can like hire fewer coach buses mm-hmm. but they just cost way more um they tend to be uh, sort of loaned out or secured on a sort of time block basis anywhere between six to seven hours they just sit at the venue uh, and then they like drive back when they're at least fifty percent full. That seems to be a very common uh, rule that they have. Okay. Um, but they're also just a lot more expensive. When you go to like the thirty-person shuttle vans type of scenario, what ends up happening is you just pay for the vehicle um, and also like gas surcharges, uh, but you pay per way. So if you want to send everyone from the hotel to the venue, you got to pay for that. And then they leave. And then you you basically schedule like pick up and drop off times. Um, and then if you want them to take everyone back from the venue back to the hotel, you got to pay for that as well. Um, and so that's just sort of, uh, you know, what's, what we uh, decided. So after looking at all the costs, we decided to just it'd be way easier to do four 30-person shuttle buses. Um we also set up a, a ride for Carolyn, you know, her matron of honor and some other women in the morning to get shuttled from the hotel to the venue to get ready type of thing. So um, so there's that. We also have a uh, location and a date and location for our engagement shoot. So we found a nice state park in Jersey that has like some water, some trees, some mountains in the distance. Because we're so outdoorsy, we just wanted something that could capture that essence for us. Um, so, so yeah, um, those are a lot of the decisions right now. We're still looking at how to secure a contract for the after party. Uh, you know, there's like different rules where if you want it in the bar they have, because like not obviously not every hotel has like a liquor license, um, to like run a functioning bar. We found one that did, and that was really important to us. You know, it's one cost to use the lobby bar, and there's another cost to say if you want to rent out a private room, uh, like a ballroom or something, or a meeting space. You know what I mean? Um, and just have like a bar and the food served there to be a little bit more, uh private um same thing with the uh, the brunch uh especially with uh rising food prices inflation uh supply chain stuff like pricing is just a lot more variable nowadays for like events when it comes to not only gas surcharges obviously with what's happening in the world um uh gas has been sort of flying up yeah but also just like food prices are going up where uh a lot of these vendors are just increasing their price per person uh, pretty tangibly, pretty quickly. And so it's one of those things where if uh, you you are somewhat pressured, um, not like uh, they're not pressuring you, sorry, the vendor is not pressuring you, but they do say that if you sign a contract, you can lock in the per person rate at what it is. And knowing that, um, it's a mathematical certainty at this point from all the head economists and business folks that inflation is going to hit double digits by the end of the year, that there's no way that these prices aren't going to continue to go up if we like don't lock it down now. Um, yeah. 
and yeah. it's our it had already gone up by 15 percent. that's not starting from the time we started speaking to them to like hey we updated our pricing right that's nuts mm-hmm. it's such a that's such a weird thing to have to like contend with you know um that's something that Lynn and I didn't have to even think about. That wasn't that just wasn't a thing then. Like when the way that the way that the that inflation and just like supply chain uh, rising costs are affecting us is that we we notice like especially when we were down in Florida recently, just like things that we were buying there, how much they've changed in prices to now. Oh, like yeah. some of the restaurants that we were eating at where we went this time, it's like wait a minute, we were here. Shoot, I'm trying to recall if it was just, I think it was literally just two months prior and the prices had gone up like, like two bucks per dish. Oh, and it was yeah. like, wow. Oh, yeah. In that short of time. And I'm sure I still have receipts from them a year ago when we were there. And I'm sure the prices went up even more uh, since then. So uh, that 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 totally makes sense that the prices go up like that and in and, and such a tangible amount, um, like such a visible amount in that short period of time. But damn, that's crazy. And it's yeah. very annoying, you know, like when you're you're paying for a wedding, you're paying, you know, by the head. Everything yes, is everything is by the head. And every, you know, you raise you raise that price by like a dollar. Well, if you're expecting like 200 people at that wedding, I have no idea what your what your guest list actually looks like. But if you're expecting 200 people, that's an additional two hundred dollars. But that's not what the case. That's not the case. Right. Like it's multiple dollars across the board on so many different things that's a lot of money that you're you're paying yeah 15 a 15 percent increase is a drastic increase yeah um and so it's just one of those things where uh you know we're trying to make this it there's the lesson that we're learning is there's no such thing as too early uh nowadays it's about a knowing that we are getting married in a busy weekend uh, obviously a long weekend in an area with many venues like our wedding site or venue has three total venues and so there could be three weddings happening on premises mm. at the same time now granted they all start at different times and they are like on different parts of the property so there's no way that we'll like be bumping into each other it's not like you know right, we're all right. in the same hotel it's like you're ballroom a we're in ballroom b but it's uh, just knowing for every wedding, you can probably guesstimate about a hundred people. We'll say, as a conservative sort of projection, I was like, all right, well, those hundred people got to stay somewhere. And it's like, all right, well, there's many more events as the world opens up, and and so it's just one of those things where um, we're trying to get stuff locked up as early as possible, so that we are making decisions based on what we want and not based on what is available yeah yeah so um so yeah so like i said we're we're trying to lock down um uh i don't carolyn's doing some dress shopping uh i am not going to be doing tuck shopping until the fall uh i need about i think three to four months to be on the conservative side but I just know that my body's not in the place right now to be like tailored. I'll say I'm still like getting back into shape with running, um, and so that'll be like when I'm in like I'm basically waist deep in marathon training because there's a there's a possibility that I run three marathons in like six months. I'll say wow. Um, the Chicago one is in early October. Okay, and then there is uh, Carolyn and I got a free entry. 
because we deferred from a previous year, uh, we got a free entry into this year's New York City Marathon. And that's the first Sunday in November. So that'll be the 6th or the 7th. What's always fascinating about that, knowing that, you know, daylight savings just happened, is it's the day of daylight savings. So it's always, like, such a crazy way to, like, mess with 50,000 people who spent months and months training to be like, hey, the last second, we're going to throw some daylight savings at you. Yep. Um, but the good news is it's fall forward, right? So you do get an extra hour of sleep, uh, even though no one's really sleeping the night before. Um, and then in 2023, in March, I am going to Tokyo to run that marathon. Ah, so, you're finally getting back at that one. Finally. It's only three years later. That's crazy. Um, I got to say, like, it, I am really hoping that, you know, this this feels familiar, the whole, like, everything's opening up again and whatnot. <laughs> Because we did this like a year ago, you know, right before the Delta variant came in, you know, this is what, when was Delta? When that was uh, like May ish. Am I, am I remembering that correctly? Or is it later? It was even later than that. Wasn't I think it? it was late. I think it was the summer. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then Omicron, like you think in the Delta kind of started to recede back and then, and then it seemed like things were starting to get better. Then Omicron all of a sudden came and hit like a fucking truck, dude. Mm-hmm. Still like, it's like an outlier on a plot when you look at the when you look at like the, the the reported case numbers per day and you see you see where uh that that like 800,000 people were diagnosed uh every you know in 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 one day that number just like it completely blows out the scale of that of that chart and it's 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 oh, really yeah. difficult to take anything from any of these figures outside of that like if this was if this was like a paper that i was working on that would just like be a gap in the chart you'd have to either like indicate that there was an outlier beyond this point and you're not going to plot it or uh you know figure something else out anyway sorry about that no it's fine um you're you're not wrong and so um it, it's just wild that we uh, we may be able to realize some of those dreams, we'll say. Yeah. Um, so, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, um, wedding planning is going quite swimmingly. Uh, and uh, that's really all I have to share this week, I think. Uh, I wanna I wanna wait to talk about some of the Formula One stuff until you're actually done. Even though you actually watch the season, I don't want to <laughs> ruin it quite yet by talking about it. I just right. I have some comments on on some things that I feel like you'll be able to better understand, knowing that you have way fuller context than I do. Um, and, I, and I've I've come to realize this: my ten hours every year of watching the Formula One Drive to Survive documentary is like enough uh to be like yeah this is enough for me yeah you don't want to watch anymore (laughs) i don't want to spend time watching it i don't have although i did realize you're maybe a chinese driver um i may be mistaken about that not not yet there was there was um there was discussion about him joining um i think he's a formula two driver if i remember correctly uh, okay. oh, let me let me let me just quickly google him yeah i'm looking at a photo right now of the class of 2022 and i only see what yeah. i believe is yuki yeah you see yuki sonoda um, yep yeah he's um, a i got thoughts on him too yeah um, but so I'll, I'll share that with you when you're done so he is what is he? A reserve driver? Oh, uh, okay. I think. 
four. Uh, who is uh, goodness gracious? I'm struggling to see exactly where. Who's Valtteri driving for now? He's he replaced Kimi Raikkonen with um, Alfa Romeo. Oh God. Yeah. So Valtteri Bottas is just gonna uh, float into the ether of uh, just not being relevant Wait anymore. Wait a minute. Was I wrong? Is he Formula One driver? Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, Guan, Yu, Guan Yu Zhao? Yeah. Yeah, it says that he's uh, Alfa Romeo's driver. I, yeah, I see another Asian dude in the back. Okay, okay, so yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I guess yeah. I'm an Alfa Romeo fan now, dude. Yeah, because um, I forgot they replaced Giovinazzi as well. And uh, so, yeah. Man, full, full on. Yeah, they replaced both their drivers. I like Giovinazzi, too. That was the thing, like, you know, watching this season, um, there were times where he just seemed to do fairly well for that team but formula one is really and i don't you know as as much as i follow it as much like you know posts that i see people post about on reddit it's still a really complicated sport with a lot of politics and such that oh, are involved. like you know i you you i'm sure a lot of people have heard about like the racism that lewis hamilton encountered when he was coming up but there's a there's like a you know it's a rich sport it's a like, obviously consider if you're a kid doing formula one like you need a cart you or i said do it a kid do it kid doing formula one if you're a kid racing you know doing karting you need a cart um and lewis hamilton's dad was working like three or four jobs to do this and they're going out on the weekends and racing and they're struggling it's just the two of them doing this stuff together meanwhile you have all these oh, other yeah. kids you got like uh mazepin you got uh stroll the teeth like all these kids you got like mick schumacher like all these all these kids come from money they have money their parents are able to throw money at these uh uh to, to help their kids get equipment as well as like t uh, coaches and, and help and it's like it, and even at the high stage of formula one money can still get you a seat so like lance stroll is uh he's the son of the owner of the uh, uh aston martin team so like he's not going anywhere He's not like the greatest driver. He's not bad either, but he's also not like the greatest driver in the world. So I would, I wonder like if he were not the son of the owner, would he actually be in Formula One? Uh, Nicholas mm -hmm. Latifi, he's a driver for Williams. He's also the son of a billionaire uh, uh, from from Canada. He, I don't know if his dad actually has um, any affiliation with the team though. I think he really is kind of in there on his own merit, but the money helped him get to where he is now. And then of course you had Mazepin who um, I actually have only just kind of, uh, I'm on episode, I think, I think three or four where they're, where they're profiling the Haas team. So we've kind of only just been introduced to him, but um, it's, it's very clear, especially at watching the season that he was only in that seat because his dad was sponsoring the team with a whole lot of money. Mm -hmm. But uh yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm excited to watch the rest of it and talk about it. It's really interesting. Like, I, the whole reason why I'm watching Formula One is because of uh, Drive to Survive, and there's a lot. There are a lot of new fans, especially a lot of new American fans, because of that series. And it's really interesting seeing the the comments from people on Reddit, um, and not even just Reddit, like you know, YouTubers who cover Formula One. Like a lot of people don't. A lot of people who follow the sport don't actually like drive to survive and the reason oh, is bet. because they manufacture a lot of drama they don't mm -hmm. really profile the series in the way that like like especially this season where there was a real close title uh title contention fight um 
I'm not sure that it gets covered the same way that you're thinking about it week to week as you watch it. Oh, sure. And so, like, it's meant to. It's really meant to highlight the pettiness, yeah, the politics, yeah, the the human drama for people who don't care about like. Yeah, you don't need to know um, the sport, say, right? You don't, don't need, need to know the like, sport. You don't, you don't, need, don't need to understand to the... tires. You don't need to understand pit yeah. uh, strategies, all these who other cares? things. And like as a viewer now, like someone who watches the sport, I can see, I get behind the scenes looks at like Lewis Hamilton in the garages. And at some point he's kind of like watching, he's literally watching Red Bull do their, um, do their, uh, their uh, like practice or pit stops. And then he's also checking out their car and he like, he's just like taking it all in. And then he goes back to his garage and he goes, yeah, so they have like this thing here and they have like this thing there. They're like pulling little bits of ideas and stuff from each other. So like that, that is really cool to see. I think some people take issue with some of the drama that they feel is overblown with Netflix. And I'm really not sure how much truly is overblown. You like, there are things that people will say to one another that will rub you the wrong way, right? Like, and, and it, there's no, you know, there's just no if, ands, or buts about it. Like, it might not affect your overall opinion of somebody completely, but like, it is still a represent, it's still a representation of how they may treat you. And so, mm-hmm. if you recall from the first season when Daniel Ricardo left um, Red Bull to go to Alpine, uh, well, actually, they weren't Alpine at the time, they were um, uh, Renault. Um, he left because he felt Red Bull was pushing him to become more of a secondary driver, even though he was the more senior and more experienced driver. It seemed like Red Bull was was um, tailoring things more for Max Verstappen in the end, which ultimately worked out for them, of course, because they just won the driver's championship with Max uh, last year. But um, they made it seem like um, uh, Daniel and Max didn't get along very well, like there was a rift between Daniel and and uh and horner and i'm not sure how real that actually was so like there are things Mm. like that that people are like yeah that's just it's too much um like there's there's so much drama in formula one already why does netflix need to manufacture it but just like you said it really is only 10 hours and netflix isn't going to sit here and try to give you all the crash course and the finer details of these different rules like in the in uh monaco they they were discussing um, how Ch- uh, Charles Leclerc had gotten pole position, and they didn't completely explain what happened, like why he like they showed that his car broke down the next day before they started the race. They they didn't explain why the car broke down, and it's basically ah, who cares? There's <laughs> <laughs> there's basically a penalty, like he he crashed his car during qualifying and it was likely that he had damaged the gearbox there's all sorts Mm. of like rules on what you can and can't do uh between qualifying and the race especially with regards to like upgrades and damages and so you can only use like you have to use the same car like i guess you can replace bodywork and stuff but you can't replace like a a major components like an engine or a gearbox or Mm -hmm. anything like that on the car between qualifying the race and if you do there's a penalty i don't know like how big of a penalty if it's like a 5 10 or if it's like go to the back of the grid but they ultimately ferrari ultimately decided you know what we're going to take the gamble it looks good we can't say for sure because I think they can't completely disassemble it. They say it looks good and we can't start it and drive around the track a couple of times. Like, let's just try it, right? What's the worst? You know, the worst worst comes to worst, he's out the race. But if it works, then he has a really good chance of winning because it's tough to pass in Monaco. And sure enough, before the race even began, he had to stop. So, like, that's the reason. That's what actually happened. But 
that you know how much time is it going to take to explain that and is it worth it right sure sure and for like the average person like myself like it's cool but if you only have an hour for every episode like don't care i just don't care yeah it's I'm, i'm willingly uh foregoing a deeper understanding into the sport if i can just like see like all right well let's move on to the next racer let's move on to the next person yeah yeah and it's it's really cool to give them each their own you know their own moment to shine especially in this last season because it was really all about max and lewis you know every single time somebody shows up in an interview they want to ask about max and lewis it's like yo i just raced too i know i got like 13th but i had a really good race for me and I want you to ask me some questions about myself, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's it's cool to have that to have people get their you know their time to shine and get their moment in the in the spotlight sure. through Netflix and and also really just like for me, it's a really there's like different tiers or different like you if you're if you're a fan of Haas, that doesn't mean that you're you're not a fan of other teams or other drivers. Haas is so bad they're not competing to win the race; they're competing to like get. 16th like that would be a win for them getting like 16th place so you can cheer for you can cheer for multiple teams and multiple drivers and that's one of the things that i that i do think is cool but at the same time it's like wait only like two people have a chance to win everything like what what, this that kind of that kind of sucks right all these like all this time and resources and, and it's only a handful of people who are really truly competing for anything not anything but you know for the 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 championship yeah so, why don't you why don't you put some put your back into watching this man so we can yeah, talk about yeah. it more seriously? Yeah, yeah I can but, give uh, you. But let's uh, happy to end it here for our, for this week. Yeah, sounds good. All, All right. right. Well, I'm Russell. I'm Sandy. Thanks so much for listening. See everyone next week.